What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Granny's Peach Tea. We are at episode 43, which is... 43! The, show is older. the show's older than, than me officially now, even though... Yes, that's ahead. true. Even though you have you have jumped to 42, it jumped to 43. It's keeping ahead I've of I stayed you. younger. <laughs> <laughs> um, managed, to, managed to find the way. Um, but yeah, thanks yes. for joining us. Tonight. I mean, look, I... I was gonna say I give the, the show look doesn't look a day over twenty, but I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. No, we, we got the we we we're not the youngest show on Pop Culture Pros, but we're close because Double yeah. O Deep Dive is now the baby. They're they're the little they're the That's little true. brother or sister now. Little baby in my arms, two <laughs> two episode year old. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, if you're joining us on the Facebook stream, or if you're joining us on YouTube or Twitter or Instagram or the audio-only version, wherever you may have found it, thanks for hooking us up. Um, yeah, we got a lot to talk about tonight, uh, and to talk about that with me, as always, is my partner in crime, Jason. Jason, what's up? How's it been? It's been all right, Ed. It's been all right. You know, uh, I gotta, I gotta say, I was nervous. I was nervous on Monday. It was my first, uh, my first official show without you, and uh, I think I pulled through. So, uh, you know, things have been good this week. Things have been good. Yeah, we've, uh, we've had, we've been pumping out a lot of content. I was thinking about this, and I'm like, wait, we did our last grannies on Saturday. Then we had an off day. Then it was double O deep dive on Monday. Then it was an off mm -hmm. day, and now we're back at it again. Short turnaround here. Yeah. It it really is. We we are hardworking podcasters, earning every cent we're not paid. <laughs> <laughs> All of that invisible money. Maybe they'll uh maybe maybe we'll get paid in not even cryptocurrency, um whatever, monopoly money. <laughs> But uh, look, all I ask is that if Farachi ever makes way to New York, he buys me a drink. And then I'll buy him one in return, but that's all I need. <laughs> and then that's it. Then we're then we're good. Um but yeah, so we're gonna kick off our uh, sorry, but with the stuff we do have to talk about, we're gonna talk we're gonna be unhassling the Hoff a little bit. Jason's got some Baywatch nights for us, then we're gonna jump into uh Flash season eight, episode four. And we got Hawkeye episode four, which dropped earlier today, so it's going to be an open spoiler discussion. If you have not seen Hawkeye yet, come back and join us at a later time. Um, and then we're going to continue our review of the, well, I'm going to refer to it as the theatrical Spider-Verse because one of them was animated. Yes. So the theatrical Spider-Verse. And we got our first look back at an MCU film with Spider-Man Homecoming, which Jason had pointed out last week. I really wasn't even aware of it. I'm like, Holy shit, he's right. This is the first time we're looking back at an MCU film because all the other stuff's been like, you know, new. Yeah, we did the DCEU and then we did like the we teased that we were gonna do the MCU and then we pulled out like Dolph Lundgren's Punisher. <laughs> yet yet people still listen to us. Um yeah, and out. like we and then we did the new ones, but yeah, this is the first time we're actually going back. And then I I'm excited. I texted you texted you last night when I rewatched this movie. I'm excited. No, me too. I mean, I, I've seen, I don't know if this is the most I've seen an MCU film, but it's been a little while and I was avoiding it for cases of, for, because of the show, I stopped watching Homecoming, but there was a long <laughs> stretch wherever it was on, I used to just get hooked in and rewatched it. So, um, yeah, I rewatched it on my flight back from Chicago earlier uh, today and 
it's just awesome. It's, it's, it still holds up. Yeah. And I, I have mean, to give away what we're going to talk about, but yeah. Look, if anyone came to this show thinking we were going to trash talk Tom Holland's MCU debut <laughs> debut as Spider-Man, then this is their first episode. And maybe this show isn't for them because I think we've done nothing but lauded uh the MCU at this till up to this point. And we're not oh, gonna absolutely. we're not gonna backtrack on Spider-Man. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh but yeah, but to, as we mentioned to kick things off though, uh Jason, how was Baywatch Nights this week? He was a bit problematic, Ed. Uh, and, you know, it was the 90s, I get it, but, uh, so the whole thing is, all right, starts off with Mitch rescuing a seagull that is on the beach, stuck in, stuck in, like, litter, litter, not glitter, and, um, and there's an Asian girl who isn't speaking, who's helping him, and he's, like, you know, being Mitch and real nice, and her mother's making a phone call, and then uh, the I, I think it was the Japanese mob, the Yakuza, who were working with a businessman jump out, and they abduct the woman, and they go to abduct the girl, but Mitch valiantly protects her. Um, and then it, there's a lot of, like, samurai talk, because they're Japanese, as I said, and a lot of gong music and, uh, you know, a lot of bowing. And, and it, it's – it, I'm not going to say it's racist, because that, that's going a bit too far. It was the 90s. This is what, you know, representation I on UPN at 2 in the afternoon, whenever the hell this show aired, looked like. Yeah, but, uh, you know, it, it, it was uncomfortable. Not uncomfortable. I just if, if it was better, I guess I could have, you know, defended it. But it, it was also just kind of, eh, you know, there, was, oh, there were geishas, of course. That's how they, they break the big case. That's how they, they find the woman is the their geishas in the club. And there's, you know, yeah, it's it, it, it wasn't wasn't one of the Hoff's better episodes. It certainly wasn't the one we did last week where uh, the psycho guy curates the Museum of the Dead. But they, they can't all be the Museum of the Dead. Um, positive aspects, Lou Rawls in this episode again. Okay. He just comes in time to time. And uh, what's her face? Donna Derrico, I think that's her name. Uh, she's apparently is a pool shark, and like because the B plot is rich kids are coming to tonight's because they get off on getting drunk and destroying places and then throwing money at the owners, and so she bets them over a game of pool. Yeah, I know it's stupid, and she she gambles over a game of pool. Like if I win, you get out of here. If you win, you can do what you want. And then, like, she proceeds to sink every ball without missing. It was it was kind of ludicrous. Yeah. Well, what else would you expect? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, again, it was you know, no no chicken outfit. <laughs> All right. So no chicken outfit, but we we have samurais and yakuza and uh, pool sharks. So yeah, exactly. It's a weird episode. You got to take what you can get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so hopefully the how, the Hoff is satisfied with that, and we're we're not knocking them again, but we're just acknowledging. Nope. His uh, previous triumphs from the 90s this time. That's it. That, not knocking him at all. I think he's actually, again, very charming in this episode. And it warmed my heart to watch him save that seagull. <laughs> all right. So let's jump into some comic book stuff then. All right here. Uh, and get into The Flash, season eight, episode four, which is Armageddon part four of the five part mini-series, I, I guess we're saying yeah. what it is. I mean, well, yeah. I guess this is the crossover. Like, you know, they, they're not doing crossovers anymore because, mo you know, a lot of these shows aren't on, like, you know, um, Black Lightning and stuff. But this essentially is the crossover. Yeah, it's the crossover. Yeah, it is. 
Um, before we move on to, I wanted to get to uh, Gil's. <laughs> Bert's got some comments in here. I don't. Yo, yo, yo. What is up, Gil? Thanks for joining yo. us. And Bert, yes, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, yes, today is my birthday. Yeah, so, happy uh, birthday. Gil, I appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. Uh, but what else could you want to do but talk about comic book stuff on, on your birthday? Why not? We, we love it every day. Um, it's and this is something uh, Burb's pointing out here that I kind of I, I kind of acknowledge this, too. It was yeah. a little weird. I was thinking about it. Yeah, you ain't the wrong. a little chunky in the flash suit. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I thought it was me or thought maybe it was his face or something. Like, it, it, definitely the face. It looked like the face, the face was kind of pouring out of it, you know? I, you right. know what I bet? I'm willing to bet that they, because for budget reasons they didn't make a new suit and they just had him in Grant Gustin's suit. I think they just put this oh poor guy. <laughs> it's it's certainly possible. I mean wow. I mean yeah Grant Gustin's like in like ridiculous shape and if anything oh, yeah some fans have kind of like shit on him online for saying he's like too skinny to be the flash at times which is why you get uh what was it an episode or two ago when he got that when Ray Palmer acknowledges, like, hey, you've been working out. He's like, yeah, oh, yeah. I appreciate that. Thanks. That was a little tip of the cap to the online BS that was going on. That, yeah, Grant Gustin's not in shape enough to be the Flash. Okay, buddy. Get out of here. Stop it. Yeah, please. Um, so, yeah, in this episode, uh, which Armageddon is rolling on, it picks up in the beginning where we see, um, you know, it backtracks a little bit and we find out, like, why they were getting together and stuff like that and kind of why everyone was upset to see Barry, because we didn't really know that last week. Everyone was kind of ticked off, and everyone was lauding Ebroy Thawne, but we found out that he went back in time and pretty much erased Barry from the timeline, and it, they were waiting for the timeline to solidify. And it was like very Back to the Future-ish, where he was yeah. like disappearing. It was. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, especially he's up there playing Johnny Be Good while his parents are trying to kiss his hand. Oh no, I'm sorry, that is Back to the Future. Oh yeah, that's what it is. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, even like Iris at one point is just like, "Are you okay?" Yeah, and his hands <laughs> disappearing and stuff. Right. Uh, well, whatever. I, I get it. That's a way to like communicate yeah, it's, that it's, that's it's... happening in a time travel show. I was good with that. Uh, but we catch up with in 2031 in Central City where uh, Batwoman is there and. Um, you know, Alex Danvers is in town and stuff, and they're there pretty much helping out Team Flash, which I wasn't sure kind of sounded like they were Team Flash, but they, I don't know. That, that part was a little murky to me. Yeah. I just guess they were in town. I think, well, I think, yeah, I figured they were in town. It looked like they were there to hang out with, uh, with Iris. So she, they were getting married, right? Or something like that. They're like, he was like proposing off. or something like that. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. They were getting married. You're right. They were getting she was married. Yeah. About getting cold feet. Yeah, and writing her vows. So they're there for the they're 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 probably there for the wedding. So. Yeah. So we find out that in this timeline, uh, Ryan and Sophie are trying to have a baby, and they're deciding who's going to have the baby. And she's like, "Well, the bat suit, you know, that's going to be a little tough for to do that." <laughs> which is which is the case. I mean, I I, I can see that being hey, a problem. Look, I eventually, think, you know. I think that's a fair point. If you are a uh, two women in a same sex relationship, and one woman is a superhero. And one isn't. I think if the superhero says, "Look, you should you should carry the child because I'm kind of a superhero," yeah. I think that's fair. It, it sounds like it's a, a pretty fair thing, but they ultimately decide. I guess they have a conversation, and he mentioned that they're going to adopt eventually. So they completely went 
you know, from one 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 side to the other. And I guess they're like, all right, no one really is going to go through this physically, so they, they decide on that. Uh, we also find out that um, uh, this Barry Allen. So what? Yeah. So pretty much what happened is Ebard Thawne became the Flash. He was struck by lightning, the particle accelerator, and everything. He just did everything the Flash did, that Barry Allen did, and became the Flash. And Barry Allen in this timeline was the reverse Flash. So I guess he automatically got angry at that point and was like, you know, trying to top him. I just wrote it off as that. I kind of, I'm kind of guessing that, like, Eobard Thawne just sort of engineered it for him to be the reverse Flash. Like, because that's the thing is he engineered this whole timeline. So it, it didn't necessarily make any sense that Barry yeah. Allen would become the, the reverse Flash. But, I mean, I guess if you screw with the timeline enough, you can make anything happen. Um, yeah. The thing that I wanted to point out that I thought was kind of crazy was, does Iris just, in, in any uni parallel universe, does she just fall in love with anyone who becomes the Flash? That's, you know, it's funny. I had that same question. That it was like, so you're saying that she, before the particle accelerator, she had no feelings for Barry? Right. That was I thought that was... Yeah. But then they kind of, later in the episode, they mentioned that he is like the paragon of love and their love still breaks through. And it doesn't matter what Thawne did. So I guess they kind of yeah. backtrack on that and, and straighten things out with this question. But it is a legitimate question because I had the same thing. And I'm assuming maybe he poked and prodded like certain things to happen to push her in that direction. I, I guess. I mean, do, I, do you I, think do you think Thawne Groundhog Day like this timeline over and over and over again until he got it just right? Like he lived this timeline millions of years uh, to yeah. get it this way? I can see him being that psychotic to yeah. go with that because he's clearly a sociopath and like a, he's just obsessed with being better than Barry Allen. So, yeah. oh yeah, I can see him doing every little thing and then maybe he went through it a thousand times before Iris actually like fell in love with him or whatever. But then they also mentioned that she got cold feet writing yeah. the thing. So the whole time, I guess she felt something was off with it. Yeah. Whatever. Um, so yeah, so we find out that then Barry Allen in this timeline and Damien Dark, they killed Ray Palmer. They killed the Legends because they mentioned Sarah Lance being dead and Nate oh, cool. and Cisco, who was the head yeah. of Argus at that point. So I can see, we know now what their motivation was to be angry with him. Uh, so yeah, so we so Barry has until the end of that day before the timeline solidifies to pretty much undo this before he stops disappearing and all that. And he also can't time travel because if you guys remember, anyone listening remembers, he had Black Lightning take most of his speed last. Uh, yeah. Last. So, so like he's stuck there, and he, he doesn't have enough speed force to jump around in time and fix things. So it's imperative that he figures it out within that time frame, which I I thought was an interesting way to give this episode real stakes. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. That that was definitely a way to to get his motivation correct. And of course, we find out. Through love. Through love. Because he's a paragon of love. He finds the way to dig deep down and get that speed back. And gets the emotional push by Damien Dark, who apparently was his partner in that, who he tells him in my timeline, your daughter's alive and you sacrificed your life for hers. Because we find that in this timeline, Nora's dead. Yeah. So, um, And I, I, I really like that I, you know, it's funny because I hated Damien Dark when he was on Arrow. That's kind of the season of Arrow I I, I stopped watching. Mm -hmm. 
But I actually really started to like him from Legends, and yes. I love him in this episode. Like I, his arc, his like, oh, we're gonna torture some people. Oh, you're not the you're not the Barry Allen I know. Oh wait, my daughter's alive. Okay, you know what? Yes, I am the per I am a person who will sacrifice myself again to bring her back. Like I really dig the arc that they gave him throughout the CW verse. I like him. I like uh, I like him as an actor where he seems to have fun playing over the top villains, but yeah. kind of has like a wink to the audience with it. But then he see he's also fun in parts like in Captain America: The First Avenger. Like, and we see him in yeah. there. And then I actually he was also in the new Resident Evil: Welcome to Raccoon oh. City. Yeah, That'd he's also. Um, me and Rick went to see that. I think you're you're a fan of the original games, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate I hate them because I'm I suck at them. Okay. But I, I do enjoy I, – I try to play them. Like, I am a fan. I just suck at them. Okay, so I love the first couple of Resident Evil games. Uh, this movie is extremely faithful oh, okay. to those first couple of games. So I think you'll get a kick out of it. I think but I'll as like a, it then. As a movie itself, it has a lot to be desired. Okay. But, again, you'll find it entertaining and just be like, oh, shit, I remember that from the game. Yeah. Okay, then so, I'll, I'll check it out. Cool. Yeah, all me and Rick were joking around, and we're like, we're just waiting for the stairs to go, ch -ch 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 -ch, and they were running up and down and stuff. <laughs> Did someone That's play Moonlight Sonata? <laughs> Please uh, tell no, 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 they didn't, unfortunately. Because that's one of the big things I remember from the first game is you had to get into the the room with the piano and find the sheet music for Moonlight Sonata to, and play it to open like a, a something up to get to the next level. If I'm correct in the movie, there is a someone does play some music, but I don't think it's the same. Okay, and then something does open. So there's a piano. There's there's a lot of stuff. So if you're a fan of Resident Evil, check out. Uh, the the film series, uh, the original one with uh, Mila Djokovic, Djokovic yeah. I tapped out after like the first three because yeah. I'm like, what is going on here? This isn't Resident Evil. Yeah, even that first one. I enjoy that first one, but it's not Resident Evil. No, nah, it's not. But this is more Resident Evil than I'll put it that way. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah, so get back to the Flash then. So Barry teams up with uh, Damian Dark to reset the timeline. They both have their motivations. So that's an interesting thing. Um, we do also find out. That apparently Chester and Allegra <laughs> yeah. ten years back in 2021 had it, went and played D and D. I'm setting it up, and, and they, they got it on. Rolled a nat twenty on getting it on. They absolutely got it on, and then Chester was believed to have ghosted her, and then it turns out that she actually ghosted him and left, and there was a whole thing for that. I think the storyline was. Yeah, I think. Story? I think they, I actually, the thing about this episode, this whole episode, I like the first, I like most of it. I like it to like the last 15 minutes mm -hmm. and, and then it kind of falls apart. And, and so this really exemplifies that because I was into them. Oh, okay. They, they, they hooked up and then he ghosted her and she backed off and, and she's complaining about it. Cause she's really hurt. Cause that's how it happened. She's complaining to David Bowie about it. Who's not David Bowie in this. I, I just never. Oh, no, eventually name. she is. Eventually is. Well, Alex, she's not. Alex yeah, yeah, goes right. full David Bowie eventually. She does. I just meant not in this scene, <laughs> no. but, um, but she, so, you know, Allegra's talking to David Bowie and like, Oh, he really hurt me. He ghosted me. And like David Bowie, like calls him on it, which I love. I like, yeah. she's just like, Hey dude, why just sleep with her and leave? And he's just like, what are you talking about? He's like a hurt little puppy. I love that yeah. guy. He's like, what are you talking about? I got up to get some breakfast. I came back and she was gone. And then you find out that Allegra 
saw him getting the breakfast and actually ghosted him. And it's like, so, all right, I get why you did it. The whole explanation of people don't stay and I got, you know, I got afraid, so I bolted. But it's like, yeah. then why are you making this, why are you bad, shit-talking this guy, making him look bad? Like, he, you know he didn't ghost you. You know he did probably one of the sweetest things you can do after having a night of intercourse is you got breakfast. Yeah, he wanted a breakfast in bed. He was all in love and, and all of this stuff. So, um, yeah, I thought that was, and I think the follow-up to that was actually funny because there's a scene where, like, there's some crazy shit going on, and Allegra and uh, Chester finally talk it out, and they're like, listen, the world's about to end. I love you. Yeah. I love you. Yeah. And um, Frost, uh, Kate Frost, um, Caitlin Frost is like, her reaction in front of them when she's like, Oh yeah. my god! I actually was laughing out loud about that. That was that was pretty funny. <laughs> but by the way, why is Craven the bartender part of the uh, the flash the flash mob now? I mean, <laughs> dude, I uh... like I I get they set him up last season, but like why? So if Barry Allen if, if Barry Allen's become the Flash, Craven the bartender is a good guy who's working with the Flash team? Like, what? I don't know. But there was also a scene where they came out of a fucking room with a, with a tie oh, yeah. on it. At the wedding! At the, the wedding! Yeah! Like, Barry, because they come out like, oh, guys, what did we miss? They're like, oh, there were fucking reverse Flash just showed up. Well, what Jason, you guys well, Jason, what did we think they were doing? Well, I think they were, um, get in it! Oh! There it is. <laughs> There's a lot of that for, for this episode. They really yeah, actually. There's more sex implied in this Flash episode than there has been in any previous episode, with maybe the exception of the one episode where like Iris and Barry kept trying to sneak away to screw. You know, they weren't even getting it yeah. on. They were just trying to conceive. Exactly. So there was that. So that street fight you mentioned with Damian Dark against Faye Craven, we'll call him. He's like <laughs> Raven. He's like Raven the Hunter. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and the new Adam, also. So he goes. And we we also get uh, Adam in there. So they have a whole battle and shoot, which I thought was pretty cool because he's trying to like yeah fend them off and you know while he's using his magic to talk to Barry. And then when Barry before he goes to because we find out Barry has to pretty much create Armageddon in order to destroy that timeline to recreate his own timeline and go back. So Armageddon has to happen. So he has to create it. And he goes to the apartment before he does that, and he's like, "Listen." He goes to the loft, and he's like, "Listen, this is the Iris. I want to tell you that, you know, I love you, and all this other stuff." And then, you know, E Boy Thawne shows up. His version of Flash shows up. They have their conversation, and she has the zero. What was it? Uh, negative zero gravity gun or some crap like that? It's yeah, called. So it's something. Yeah, Batwoman that, gave her. Yeah. yeah, the thing that'll that'll. Did disrupt the Flash's powers pretty much exactly, and she chooses to shoot Eboy Thawne Flash instead, and believes in Barry. And you know, I thought she was going to say "Run, Barry, run!" like usual. And, yeah, uh, you know, she goes ahead and believes him, and runs off. And then there's that whole thing. So Armageddon ends up happening. So it turns out Despero was right. Partially, you know, he was right. Yeah. He did see what he saw, but once he comes back to the regular time. He explains to Despero because Despero looks like he killed Team Flash. Yeah, yeah, he he, he was yeah. he, and he was up to Cecile. Yep, and he was about to kill her, and then Barry shows up, and you see the whole timeline get fixed. And then he explains to him, like, dude, you left 
when shit was hitting the fan, he didn't even know what was going on. Total misunderstanding. Thawne was chasing me, and that's what caused this whole damn thing. And Barry, through love and being the paragon of love, still be outbeat, outran E-Boy Thawne as the Flash. But then we find out he's E-Boy Thawne is back in the suit. Looks like he's going to go talk to Gideon because he was in that room. Right. But in Star Labs. Didn't they destroy yeah. Gideon? Exactly. That's, okay. But he, Gideon doesn't pop up there, but he was in the room, in the safe room. Right. So I wasn't so, really sure what was going on. Yeah. So, yeah, there's something. Uh, uh, but the end the, the episode ends though with it, uh, something we would be hyped up about that Joe is back because he calls yes. Joe and he hears yes. his voice. So Joe Joe West is back. Awesome. I hope I hope that actor is in many more episodes because again, like without he he was in my top three. It was yeah. him and Wells and Cisco. And and it was great to see it was great to see the actor who plays Wells back as Eobard Thon. I love that guy. I I wish he did other things. I don't know anything else he's been in, but I would just like to see him act because I think he's a really great actor based on just the many roles he's played as Wells over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, Joe's back, and I'm very excited about that. And I also noticed, by the way, he's in the opening, which he's been in the opening. So I guess maybe I was wrong. Maybe he didn't leave the show. Yeah, maybe they, maybe he just said, "Hey," or maybe someone said, "Hey, you're not going to be in." Again, that's it, you know, which is I'm sorry. I just I just wanted to come back exactly. So, all right, before we move on, let's get to uh comments. It's been a little while since we've heard from Martha just dropping in a Martha Rick. Why, why did you say that name? <laughs> it, it's always needed. We haven't had a, a Martha mention in, in a little while now. It's been a while. It has been a while. <laughs> well, because we left the DCU behind, and there's no—I don't think there's any Marthas in in, in Marvel, right? Uh, none off the top of my head I can think of, but we've dropped in Martha mentions during Superman <laughs> yeah, that's, and Lois. That's that's, that's true. Not well, we also haven't that. had Superman Lois in a while, and that's true. Uh, what's up, Rick? How's it going? Rick, Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. We, we always appreciate it. We. Dude, you need to let me know when you're coming on for Hawkeye, all right? We only got a couple of episodes left, so yes, you missed the New York episode. Yeah. So but come on, come on for Hawkeye at some point, man. Just watch it and like, what are you in Florida? They have internet in Florida, obviously. He <laughs> <laughs> said New York is too lit for him to be. Like, yeah, he had a lot going on here. He's crying you know, that, in a couple of days. That's fair. That's absolutely fair. All right, so we have a commitment here next week. All right, Rick. You can come on next week. We'll talk about it offline, but you know, we'll 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 go ahead and see. Yeah, he's saying not really. No, he was running around a lot during while during his time. Yeah, as, as they always do. But we we totally get it. Um, all right, let's speaking of Hawkeye, let's jump on to it. What's up? No, I was gonna say. I just wanted to say one more thing with the Flash before we went. went no, good, good. They need to stop solving every problem with. Oh yeah, I'm the paragon of love, because that's why I liked a lot of this episode and then hated the end. Because it was just like, has he? We got five minutes left or ten minutes left. How's he going to beat it? Ooh, run, run, run! I'm the paragon of love. Everything's fine. It's like, how many times are we going to do this? Like, love I, always wins, as we learned in Wonder Woman. Then why even have a show? Then let's just say that uh, he's cleared the world of everything bad because of love. Like, when when you could just pull love out of the air and and you win because of that, I don't know. It takes the stakes away. I can agree. I, I can see that. It does. It does yeah, do that. So. 
Sorry, I just I needed to I needed to vent about that because again, I really did like most of this episode. No, I mean I think it's it, it's definitely warranted. I mean it, it does hurt the episode in a way for for that to be the answer to everything. Yeah. But there is one more part to Flash Armageddon, so we know this isn't over. Yeah. So maybe he only temporarily fought off Thawne for love. And didn't and, quite conquer it. And maybe maybe Thawne becomes meatloaf in the next episode because he would do anything for love. But he won't good. do that. Thank you. I've been I've been practicing. <laughs> oh, that was good. You really got it. You got it in there. That was you got those notes there. I like that. Appreciate. It. I, I do karaoke a lot, man. <laughs> I, I recall. I recall, and I I mentioned that I told Angie about that too. About you know, especially um, you and Grogan and you guys teaming up for your karaoke too. I mean, I I, I those were fun times, man. It was. It was good. Good times. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, all right, so let's jump on, uh, move on to Hawkeye, episode four, which dropped earlier today on Disney+. Plus. Let's throw up the spoiler warning on the bottom. So if you have not seen episode four of Hawkeye yet, please go ahead and either skip this part and come back for Spider-Man Homecoming, or um, just watch it and come back and check us out another time. It's up yeah. on YouTube and everywhere else. You can and check hey, it out later. You can you can come back uh, and watch a little bit of it, and then leave and come back and then watch the rest. Because the more time you watch it, the more the more views we get, the more popular we look. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Watch the Hawkeye. Watch this upcoming Hawkeye part a thousand times. Who cares? That's it. That'd be yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So spoiler warnings done. Let's get in. Let's jump into Hawkeye. Um, yeah, so pretty much the episode picks up uh, in Kate Bishop's mom's apartment, where we find out at the end of the last episode, the Ronin sword was Gary used the Ronin sword to, he had it at Clint's throat. And pretty much that's where it was. So we knew he was in a shitty proposition here. Uh, while Rick's still going on about that, he didn't have far and everything like that. <laughs> um, so yeah, so they have this conversation and they. Kate and Clint sit down and they talk to our, our mother and her stepmom, I mean, her stepfather, and they have the, the talk about it and it's like, you know, find out pretty much their, I thought it was a pretty covenant, funny conversation because it was very much revealing of, oh, we're partners. Oh, we're friends. Yeah. Oh, we're no. this. And Clint's like, nope. No. I don't know if I'd call it that. No. Uh, and then reluctantly, <laughs> eventually he's like, sure. Yeah, <laughs> we're working on a case together, though, right? We're working yes. on a case together. And he's like, sure. Like you said, <laughs> so <Sure>. reluctant. <laughs> we are. Um, and she refers to him at one point as CB1. <laughs> and he's like, nope, no one calls me that. <laughs> nope. nope, that's never not a thing. I love their dynamic. It's, and their chemistry is great. I think it's hysterical, yeah, because because she's like young and perky, and oh my god, you're my hero, we're gonna do great things. And he's like, No, I'm old, I'm retired, I got a family, leave me alone. <laughs> he's like a grumpiest Avenger. Yeah, he is the he's the grumpy Avenger. <laughs> and then she also calls him out for like his marketing stuff and stuff like that, of like, you know, because uh, Gary's acting almost like he kind of doesn't know who he is at one point, but then says Thank oh yeah, you for saving the the planet and the universe and everything is like yeah, it's cool. But don't mention it. I think the thing was he knew who he was, but he didn't remember his name. It was like oh, yeah, Archer, was. Was. you know. It, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And so I think that was the gag. Like, you know, if your marketing was better, people would remember your name because they know who he is. Yeah, they know who Clint Barton is, but they don't right. know really what he goes by or anything like that. Um, so at the end of that conversation, though, Clint, uh, Clint's mom, I'm sorry, Kate's mom pretty much asks Clint, like, listen, you know, you're, you're doing dangerous shit and your line of business shit happens. Uh, you kind of got to leave, get my daughter out of this. Yeah. You know, and she a- also pulls the card, the Natasha card. Which yeah. is a big part. I think it's a big part of Clint in this episode. Yeah, where you want to go ahead and say what you know? I, I, yeah, I'm sorry. I love that. I love that line though because uh, he was like, "No, no, I can promise you that uh, she'll be okay." You know, I'm, I'm, you know, she's really good at this, and she's like, "Wasn't, wasn't Black Widow really good at this?" and where did that get her? And it was like, oh God, that's like, and then she doesn't actually mean to hurt Clint Barton. I'm sure she has no idea of their like deep friendship and relationship, no. right? But, but like it wounds him. And I think it, you're right. It like that, that drives the rest of the episode, like that, yeah. like comparison. No, and, and that, yeah, and that's what it is. And I think that's a lot of his motivation and the way he starts to look at Kate in this episode, where, because there are times where he warms up to her and stuff. But then he remembers, like, mm-hmm. I need to protect her. Like, you know, this shit's going shit's to get too crazy right now. Um, and he also, want, as the, he doesn't answer the question. She also asks, like, are you a father as well? He can't answer yeah. that because smart move. Yeah. You know, if people don't know that, they don't need to know. And he talks about that. Like, he mentioned in previous episodes, his whole job was to be a ghost, mm-hmm. essentially, not yeah. to be recognizable. So you don't need to know shit about me. I mean, Kate already knows too much probably as it is right yeah and then and kate's a super fan so that's that's kind yeah. of one of the reasons she knows but um but i also he also says that in this episode at some point which i know we'll get to but he was like i'm not a superhero i'm a weapon i i i my job is to kill i was pointed at the right people to kill yeah and and you know we'll get to that because there's a larger implication to the story but i i think that really does sum up like his whole thing like no i don't want to be recognized I don't want you to know I have kids. We don't even know he has kids in a family in Avengers 1. We all think we're all shipping him and Black Widow in Avengers 1. Yeah. And then we get to Age of Ultron. He's like, no, no, we're we're good platonic friends who saved mm-hmm. each other's life. Linda Cardellini is my wife, and I have, like, three kids and a farm. And it's like, wow, you, you even hid that from us, the audience, Clint? <laughs> yeah, totally didn't see that coming, like, at Me neither. all. Me neither. Um, but, yeah, let, let's... I, I guess let's let's jump into that because then that, that's kind of where it, it takes us after that. Like, there's that they have their conversation going, and then there's a mention to Kate. Kate's mother says something about being alone on the holidays, and they're talking about like celebrating and stuff like that. And then there's cuts to Clint in um, is it, it's Kate's uh, Kate's mother, Kate's uh, aunt or something like that. Her abandoned apartment yeah, in New York because it's not hers. It's pretty much where they're squatting after the trench, the, the the jumpsuit mafia destroyed Kate's loft. Yeah, so he goes back there and we see him icing himself up and stuff with like random shit in the freezer, which I do love, I love that, that they. Like, you know, I love that it, it, a lot of what he's icing himself up with is like booze, like like packets yeah. of frozen margaritas, <laughs> and he's taping it on his hand and his leg and it's, because they drink that booze later, which is why I think it's funny. It's like it they they set it up and then they. They knock it down. Yeah, because he's pretty much icing himself down because he's beat up and broken up. And he talks to his wife over the phone, and she's helping him in this episode. Like, helping him, like, look into things and stuff like that. Because 
he's also looking up Kazi and trying to find out more on him and his, uh, you know, and in Gary's, you know, company that he works for, he's an employee listed for. And so she helps him out and they end up discovering that his company, who's the CEO for, does money laundering for the tracksuit mafia. So we know he's up to some shit and we know the tracksuit mafia goes to still the paid powerful uncle with no name at, at this point. Which, uh, which I think after, I think after the announcement that Kevin Feige made this week about Charlie Cox, I think I would be incredibly surprised if this was not Vincent D'Onofrio's kingpin. I would be incredibly surprised if they brought one and not the other. I, I will say that, yes, 100% with you. Through that whole announcement, I think the timing of that was very interesting. Um, yeah, and plus, I just think the laugh and everything in episode three yeah. was Vincent D'Onofrio. I think he's a great, like, you can listen to him laugh in other movies and shows he's done. It, that's him. I mean, Agreed. yeah, it's it's not Agreed. it's not a mistake. And again, if you're gonna bring Charlie Cox, which you should because he's amazing, and I'm so happy that they made that that announcement that I don't have to wait until and see and like because I love Charlie Cox's Daredevil. But if you're gonna make that decision, why wouldn't you bring Vincent D'Onofrio? He was just as good and just as popular, and he's literally from the same world, the same show. Like, if you're importing one, you can import another. And Deborah Ann Wallace, Karen Page, and the whole cast of Daredevil. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I guess we can. We'll have another discussion about that after we talk about this episode, because there's a lot of implications I wanted to talk about with with that. Sure. Um. Yeah. So pretty much, Kate goes to the apartment, and she's like, "Hey, listen, I've got pizzas. I got pizza dog here with me. We're going to celebrate. I'm not going to leave you alone in the holidays." I got a bunch of movies because tonight's movie night. She knows that. She's, he's supposed to be with his family. Let's celebrate. You're right. They end up taking those drinks and they bake a bunch of frozen margarita drinks. So fun. They're having that. And he talks about doing a quarter thing, a quarter trick and yeah. taking somebody out with a quarter. And she's like, no way. And he's like, I don't want to show you. And she's like, no, no, no I'm not going to believe that. He goes in and flicks it at the damn TV and clicks it <laughs> off. And she's like, you got to show me that. So she's trying that and trying that, and she finally gets it. Uh, I thought that was really cool because, again, it's more taken under the wing and and and, and training everything. Yeah, uh, and and it also shows it also shows that Hawkeye is not just his thing isn't just a bow and arrow. He's got like insanely good hand eye coordination and like he's almost like bullseye, you know, much. in the sense that like anything in his hands are a weapon, except like. Bullseye is like, oh, Bullseye's super cool because he could kill you with a piece of chalk. And it's like, yeah, Hawkeye has some bow and arrows. But it's like, I think their they're skill set, because they're not powers, it's a skill set. I think it's very similar. Yeah, and, and, and I don't know if we'll see it in the MCU. We may or may not. Uh, but in the Dark Avengers comic storyline, when Norman Osborn is Iron Patriot and he needs a Hawkeye for his Avengers team, he gets Bullseye to be Hawkeye. Oh, that's that's so, the move right there. Yeah, that's the most. So you can see their skill sets, you know, could mimic each other very easily. Uh, but then we see Clint is dealing with some uh, kind of like PTSD from Nat's uh, death. Like they show scenes from, you know, from going ahead and and when she fell in Avengers Endgame when she when she fell down. And there's a lot of flashbacks, and he's dealing with a lot of it. So that thing, that whole um, conversation with 
Kate's mother really got things triggered and, and going along. And like the conversation you mentioned earlier, they have the conversation saying like, you know, Clint's like, yeah, I'm a weapon. That's pretty much what I am. I'm not a role model. I'm not any yeah. of this. And I happen to be pointed at the right people. And I, yeah, and I love that. And it comes, it actually comes on the heels of like, she asks him who Ronan was or how did you know Ronan? Like she, she yeah. straight up asks him and he just doesn't answer. And she goes, Oh, that you were Ronan. And his, and cause, and then he goes, I, people dealt with the blip differently. Cause she also figures yeah. out that he lost his family in the blip. And, and she says, but you're a role model. And that's when he says, no, I'm a killer. I did. No, that's what it is. He says, I did as Ronan, I did what I was trained to do. And she went, help people and he went no kill people i am a weapon and i just happen to be aimed at the right people and it i just thought it was such it was such a deep introspective look him taking that, that look at his own character and it's like for this version of hawkeye which is very different than than marvel you know comics accurate hawkeye um yeah. i thought it was a really really great monologue i really enjoyed it no me too and he also thinks about his family and we show they showed that picture of them from the beginning of Endgame with on the farm and stuff like that, what they were doing. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was a pretty interesting thing, and they, that pretty much carries on for the rest of the episode. Um, but then, yeah, he calls into, well, I mentioned to, he calls into his wife to keep helping him out to look into Kazi and stuff like that, and to look into Gary, and she's really got a lot to do with this episode. Um, and then they find out that there's a Rolex that was missing from the Avengers compound, which is connected to Ronin. And then we also find out that who has it, Echo is the one who has that. You know, Maya, Maya has this thing in her apartment. They don't know that yet, but they're tracking down this Rolex. So Kate and Clint go to this house and then they find out, oh shit. Like Kate goes in there and um, actually, I'm sorry, I, over, I overlooked something. They needed the, they needed a bunch of arrows. You, you forgot the LARPing. <laughs> Yeah, my bad. I sorry. I forgot about the larping. I was overlooking the larping for a moment in my notes. Uh, yeah, so pretty much they need ammo. They go to get some arrows, and they go to the larpers again because they're pretty much the arrows are locked up in an NY, NYPD facility, and the cool, larpers were first responders. A cool line was, "Don't you have any more trick arrows?" No, I don't need more trick arrows. Those are my trick arrows. What do you mean you don't need more trick arrows? I have trick arrow heads. You just can't put them on any arrow. You need to put them on the trick arrows. What if you put a boomerang in the, the trick arrow? Well, no, then it would come back at us. Exactly. You'd never lose them. But then we'd have to deal with whatever the hell it was doing. Like, I, yeah, love... I don't want it to come back at me. <laughs> right? I love that exchange. It was so funny. That was great. And the fact they had to go back to the LARPers, I thought was, was excellent, uh, too. It's fantastic. I love the LARPers. <laughs> and there's also something about they need material to make new costumes. Yes. And Kate asks them, you know, for this guy, maybe we need two extra costumes. You know, so <laughs> um, we, we do see in some of the promotional material for the show that he has a comics accurate, not with the mask on, but the H, but you know, a more modern uh, comics accurate Hawkeye costume on, and she has hers. So I'm assuming that's how they get their their yeah. new costumes through the Loppers, which I thought was funny because I thought we were done with the Loppers completely. Yeah, I did too. Apparently not. I'm glad. Apparently we were. not. And I, uh, I love I love the scene where uh, the 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 police the the Larper cop brings the arrows, and he goes, "All right," and he goes to take the bag, and she goes, "Wait, you didn't bring your own bag?" 
this is my bag. And he's like, no, I, I didn't. Can I just, my wife bought me this bag. It has, <laughs> it, it, and, and it says like something embroidered on it. Like, like, like there are just moments, there are beats in this episode that are just like, that's so weird and funny and real, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and he has to borrow the bag because right. he Gonna doesn't borrow. have his own bag. <laughs> It's, I just think it's hysterical, like because it's not something you would think. Normally, in a, a, a movie or a show like this, it would be like, "All right, here's your arrows. Got it. All right, here's the bag." But the whole, the fact that we stop and have a conversation that Hawkeye didn't think to bring a bag, and this woman doesn't want to give up her bag that her wife gave her, I thought was just <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> and I think those are things we're only going to get. Like this is the advantage of an MCU show versus a movie, because yep. for runtime for a movie, you don't have time for this shit. But on the show, exactly, you could explore. More, more, like more beats like this that are that are hilarious. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, so back to them. Then they they go and they track down the Rolex. Uh, Clint's wife is helping him as well, and then they track it down. They find out it's in Maya's apartment because Kate breaks in there and she's using some trick arrows and she sees these like flashing lights and stuff like that. And he's like, "Oh shit, that's what this is for." Like that's Maya's apartment, and then is a full out brawl between Kate and Maya, which is wild. And she is, like, kicking the crap out of Kate. Yeah. Meanwhile, Clint's on the roof across the street, and he's got his own shit to deal with. The person that we saw with the goggles in the trailer that we mentioned last week, and long we do find out that the new Black Widow has been hired to go, yes. I know, well, he believes, he's, Clint says, I'm he so thinks. tired of Black Widow. Yeah. But we know he that she was that. pointed there by Val and the post credit yeah. scene of Black, of Black Widow. Uh, so, yeah, she's there to pretty much get avenge, uh, you know, vengeance on her for her sister. Yep. And I love the moment where he, he cuts out for a minute and Echo comes in and Kate's fighting Echo and then he comes back in and he's like, yeah, Echo's here. And she's like, I know. Why didn't you tell me? I just did. Yeah. Well, you know, well, can you come here and help? No, she's on the roof. I'm fighting her. You're not fighting her. I'm fighting her. Like, I thought, again, I really appreciated that. And I appreciated them stretching the mystery of who he was fighting, you know? Yes. Because we all would have thought immediately that was Echo, the way she was throwing down and, and really going toe-to-toe with him. Yep, absolutely. But then, yeah, she's unmasked. And pretty much at the end of the episode, where uh, Clint sees Kate falling off the roof. And I think he also got flashbacks of mm-hmm. when he was reaching out for Natasha. But then there's the lights where he like knocks her off and lets her land on the lights and say, listen, you know, get out of here. She'll be get safe this time. And that's it. And yeah, he just, he even says something along the lines of, yeah, shit just got really real right now. Yeah. So you need to, I need to keep you safe. That's what this is about. It's not like he hates her or anything. But that's no, no, really he, more what it is. He's just trying to protect her because again, he sees that he sees a black widow assassin trying to kill him. He assumes that someone, one of their enemies, has hired a black widow assassin. He knows the implications of that. He doesn't want to lose someone else that he cares about because obviously mm-hmm. he cares about Kate Bishop. Because why the hell else would he be sticking around if he didn't? And they um, mentioned that too throughout you know, the episode it, it, that he's staying there to keep her safe. Absolutely, and that's uh, absolutely why he's there. Um, and then, you know, that this is it. Well, no, there's a Black Widow. You can't survive a Black Widow. I might not be able to survive a Black Widow. Get the fuck out of here. I'll deal with this. You got to be safe. And I and I appreciate that. 
uh, in going again with the theme of he's having PTSD, he is messed up that he couldn't save Black Widow. Because anyone who remembers Endgame, which if, or you know, which you, if you're watching this, you, I'm sure you do. Uh, you know, he wants to take he he intended to kill himself, and he does everything he can to make sure she doesn't kill herself, and he fails. And yeah. the fact that he's able to sort of save Kate. For him, it's like, okay, I've saved one of them. Now get out of here. You know, and again, beautiful moments. And he also might be thinking the person that hired this Black Widow could potentially be the person in charge who does hire assassins yes. for things, impl yes. implying Kingpin, which takes us back to the conversation before. So Kevin Feige on Sunday night with an interview with Cinema Blend um, confirmed, he goes, you know, if, Char if Charlie Cox... Uh, if we do, if he says, if we choose to use Black Widow, I'm sorry, Daredevil, then Charlie Cox will play that character. He will be our Matt Murdock. He will be our Daredevil. We just don't know when or how that's to be seen. I also don't think you're going to bring this up out of nowhere and not have already no. have that planned out, which we know. No, this dude is like Batman levels of planning out ahead yeah. of time. So, and we we know Charlie Cox is confirmed for. No way home, right? Like at least like a cameo. Um, that's been a heavy, heavy internet rumor for the okay. last two years or so. Okay, but it's not I, confirmed. I, yeah, but going back to what we said, like, so I, I don't, I don't take his comments as saying that this is a confirmation that he's in No Way Home at all. I think it heavily implies he's in, perhaps in No Way Home. Or that we're going to see him soon. We shit, dude. We could see him in Hawkeye for all we know. That's we true. could see him. That's true. That could happen. Uh, we, you know, if he's around, Clint's in New York City. This is taking place in New York City. We're believing that a kingpin, a kingpin exists. Wilson yeah. Fisk is here. Matt Murdock can't be too far behind. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. So, well, it, maybe it's on the table. Maybe he dropped it out there knowing that D'Onofrio's kingpin is going to be in Hawkeye. And so he throws out the Charlie Cox thing. So we all go, oh, oh, maybe maybe Daredevil's going to be somewhere. And don't yeah. think about kingpin. Which, I could again, as you said, Batman level awesome. planning. Yeah. And he also, so that's the thing. I wouldn't say that he necessarily absolutely confirmed the uh, thing in No Way Home. Is it going to make me believe more that Charlie Cox is in No Way Home? Yes. I'm going to believe he's in it. Hopefully he's in it for a reason that serves the story, and it's not just yes. like, "Hey, remember me? I'm Char I'm Charlie Cox. I'm Matt Murdock. Uh, See you later." That would be weird. My no, that, guessing is it's going to be Peter needs a lawyer to help him get out of what you know the shit he's in, and he makes an appearance in the first half an hour of the movie. Right. Yeah, and I think if he's in it, it's it's a cameo. I don't think it's anything huge. I think it's like as you said, Peter needs a lawyer. Hey, I'll do it pro bono because you're a kid in Spider Man, and I. Uh, I'm, I'm not telling you this, but I'm also a superhero, so I'm going to help you. And yeah. I'm not even going to say that. The audience doesn't even know that. I, again, I don't think we're seeing him. In, if he's in this movie, we're not seeing him in the Daredevil outfit at all. No, I think it'll be as just as Matt Murdock announced it. He'll yeah. just be Peter's lawyer, wink to the audience, essentially. Yeah. And that's pretty much it, which is fine. That's I, all I, we need. I'm good that's all that. I need. Just yeah. 
just to know he's going to be here. Just because you don't say, "Oh, if we're going to use Daredevil, we'd use him," but we don't know yeah. if we're going to use Daredevil. Shut up! You're going to use weird. Daredevil. Daredevil's one of your most popular characters, like street level characters, and you wouldn't mm-hmm. say if we were going to do it, we would do this. That's like O.J. Simpson writing a book. If I did it, this is how I would have done it. <laughs> no, you did it. Come on now. So, like that—that's a thing. Like it's a weird thing to say. So I. I'm I'm very happy to know that Charlie Cox is at some point, whenever it is, going to show up as Daredevil in the MCU because I think he's perfect as the role. And I think it's it's also nice to see that essentially in the same couple of years, the uh, the Snyder Cut movement online helps yep. get that made, and now the Save Daredevil hashtag has been going on since the show got yeah. canceled. And you got studio big studios listening to the fans, yeah, and and giving them what they want. Well, Kevin Feige is good about giving the fans what they want, even Absolutely. when the fans don't know when they what they want. Like I, I don't, I'm not saying he does it all the time perfectly. You know, we've talked about some missteps here and there, but yeah. I think for the most part, Kevin Feige goes, you know what? I think this is what the fans need, and you know, the fans say, oh, I, I want to see it, maybe do this and that and it's ridiculous and it's stupid and he goes you want that you don't need that but I think when the fans go no we, we want Charlie Cox just to remain daredevil he goes yeah I think you need that so I'm going to give it to you and I, I think that that's like his magic with these movies and and that's that's what you want and that's Absolutely. what sometimes DC is, DC is missing that they don't have a guy like that to oversee right. everything right so. Maybe once he's um, done with the MCU, they can hire Kevin Feige to do the DCU <laughs> properly. Oh, sweet Jesus. Man, that, that guy's got a lot on his plate, man. A whole lot on his plate. Uh, also, he's producing a Star Wars movie. So, oh, wow. Yeah, he, he's he's all over the place. Like, that's um, a guy that literally prints money, man. It's insane. That's what he wants. Insane. Um, yeah, so, uh, listen, I, I definitely think we're getting D'Onofrio's Kingpin. Now, a lot of talk now about episode five of Daredevil might break the internet. That's the big thing now that's being said. You mean of so, Hawkeye? Of Hawkeye. Yeah. Episode five of Hawkeye is going to break the internet. So Wow, okay. Who the All hell right. knows? Maybe we get both of them showing up in the same episode. I don't know. Like, things are, like, getting crazy. And that drops next Wednesday, which will be our yeah. episode when we talk about our yeah. next episode. And it'll be the day before Jason and I get to see No Way Home. So, yeah. We got a pretty wild and exciting week next week. I'll, I'll tell you that much. We do. I have a remember. I don't know if I remember uh, that I told you, you this, but uh, a couple weeks back that I covered a class at work because I teach high school uh, for the audience, no, people who don't know in the audience. And uh, I spent the whole time talking about No Way Home with the kids, right? <laughs> so I, I ran into one of those kids who was not mine. I've never had him. He just knows me from there. And he goes, Hey, what's up? Do you, uh, you get your tickets yet? <laughs> <laughs> all my students are coming up like, you get your Spider-Man tickets? You got your Spider-Man tickets, right? And I'm like, and I always say, yeah, I'm going like Thursday at 3.30, like as soon as I leave here. And they're like, you're going from here to there? I couldn't get, I, I had to go at six. I like, so I just like the buzz in this movie. Like, like I, I love it. <laughs> it's wild, man. It, it is really wild. I have not heard buzz about anything since Endgame. Yeah, same. Same since Endgame, and I know we had COVID in between, and you know, yeah, that kind of put yeah. a damper on things. But but I'll be honest with you, like as much as I loved Shang Chi, and I really enjoyed Black Widow, and I enjoyed Eternals, yeah, like uh, 
I think I would not have been, ex- I guess, well, an eternal, well, I did see any actually all of those in the theater, but, but I, I wouldn't have been, I, even without COVID, if they came out when they were supposed to, I would not have been excited about any of those movies as much as I'm excited about this one. Like this oh, is, this is an end game or infinity war event. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. This is going to, I mean, the box office records, this is obviously yeah. it's a COVID post COVID box office records, maybe regular time box office records. Like it, it's going to be wild. Like, yeah, really money. wild. Printing money. Printing money. Man. Just <laughs> completely, completely insane. Uh, but speaking of Spidey, uh, we're going to continue our revisit of the theatrical Spider-Verse. And after we talked about the Raimi trilogy and we talked about the Mark Webb films, we'll just call them that. And uh, we talked about Spider-Man uh, Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, we again. We're getting to his... <laughs> His his first solo MCU movie because his first appearance in the MCU was in Captain America: Civil War, but this is his first you know solo uh, adventure that we got from him, and part of the what they're calling now the Homecoming trilogy. So right, yeah, that's what I've seen they're referring to it as now. So this is yeah. the beginning of it, um, which, which I think they do that purposefully, like Homecoming, Far From Home, No Way Home, like yes, yeah, they've set it up way more than any other title in the mcu as these this is a trilogy you know i wouldn't call four a trilogy it's just a bigger part of the MCU, a smaller part of the mcu but this is different yeah this is different um so yeah i, I rewatched this again and it, this is pretty this is one of my favorite spider-man movies yeah it, it really is it's a happy feel-good film um the inspiration for this has been they said from when they announced the film it was going to be inspired by like a John Hughes like MCU film. Yeah, and I watching it last night, I'm think I'm watching it going this really is an 80s like teen rom-com with mm-hmm. Spider-Man. <laughs> like even the yeah, soundtrack is 80s. They really did nail it. Yeah, no, it, it very much is. The the one part I think I guess I'm fine with it, but it kind of like if I was gonna ding this for anything, would have been the scene when he's chasing and when he leaves uh, Liz's party, and he's going, and then we find that he's in Queens, and he's like obviously can't swing around building to building like that. I thought that was funny that that was finally acknowledged Agreed. for those Agreed. of us who live in Queens, and, yeah, right. You know, and live in he, New York because he always just goes through through and he flies, but it's like you have to have something up there to grab onto. And if you exactly. live in Queens, and unless you live near the Citibank building in Long Island City, you're screwed, man. You got nothing. <laughs> yeah, and then they show him running, and he's running through some backyards, and then they Which, happen to have a big flat screen TV of somebody watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and I'm of like, because that's a Ferris Bueller scene. <laughs> exactly. You can be like, we know that that's a nod yeah. to the scene. I guess that was to really spell it out for anyone who maybe was too young that's watching this that didn't get it. I thought that was a little on the nose, but I was like, whatever. I mean, I dig this movie for nothing. Nothing. Yeah, it's <laughs> I love this movie. That. Um, and I guess let's I guess let's go through characters like because kind of how we talk about these things, and let's get into uh, Tom Holland's Peter Parker and Spider Man. Um, I 
fantastic. And I think it's a very but, different, a much younger Peter Parker because we, we get true high school Peter Parker. Yep. He's like 15, like, 16 in this? Uh, yeah, he says he's 15. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So that's what we get. He's in the sophomore year of high school. He's been Spider-Man for, I don't know, a year maybe. This is like yeah. best Spider-Man year one. Um, and it, it's it, the Parker luck is involved at, at certain points, especially in the scene with the big twist when we find out who Liz's father is. <laughs> I love that. Dude, when I saw that in the theater, I'm pretty sure I saw this with you in the theater. I think this yeah. is one of the first ones I joined you with. We've been seeing them all since. But uh, when I saw this in the theater, when when the vulture opens that door uh, to, to welcome him into the house, I was like, my thought was, wait a minute, he knows who Peter is? How do you figure this out? How do you know what's going on? <laughs> oh, he's Peter's date's father. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, I didn't, I didn't see, see it coming. coming. Even no, after I didn't. it came, I didn't see it. <laughs> yeah, that was, to me, that was like the ultimate in Parker look. Like, here it is. Boom. Yep. Again, your villain is closely tied to you. Now. And that scene that he shares... Yep. In the car when he's driving them to the homecoming dance, oh, when Peter and Liz in the back, dude, the tension in that scene you can cut it's, with a fucking like knife. It's insane. It's a it's a beautiful scene, and there is there are levels to it, right? It's like he's driving. He's like, yeah, I'm just this woman's dad, this girl's dad, and and this is this weird guy. My my daughter's taking the the homecoming, and then it's like. Oh well, you know he asks a question, he gets the answer. I forget what the first question he asks, and he's like, "Oh, oh, you, you weren't, you weren't there, you, you." And then, oh, and he recognizes his voice too. He's like, "Have we met? That was it. Have we met? I recognize. I, I've heard your voice before. No, no, I just have one of those voices. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, Peter's always ducking out. He's always running away. Oh, is he? Uh, what happened in D.C.? Oh, uh, well, I actually wasn't up there. Oh, you were, and. It, these levels of the vulture realizing that Peter Parker is that, and then it's just we're gonna have the father, the father boyfriend talk. Just give us a minute. And I watched this with my wife, which I've said many times does not like these types of movies. Um, it's very hard to. She likes some of them, but it's very hard to get her to commit to one of them. She watched, I would say, ninety percent of this movie with me until she got tired and legitimately had to go to sleep. But she was enjoying it so much. And what she said to me at the end of that scene was she went, I didn't know Michael Keaton could be so scary. Yeah. Because he, he is legitimately terrifying in this, this scene. He is, especially when he was when he figures it out and the light bulb goes like, oh, wait, you were in D.C. Oh, you were at the house. Yeah. Oh, wait, you left the party. You keep dipping out. And then it's just like, oh, and your good thing your buddy Spider-Man was around. Yep. And you can tell, like, it, it all clicked right there. Mm -hmm. One of the and best scenes in the whole movie. It is. It, I think that and, is and my favorite scene in the movie. It, it actually, it is. Yeah, it probably is mine too. It's. It's. There's a close second, but I think it is my my favorite scene of the movie. Um, and I also love. He doesn't. There's no like. There's no villain bullshit, right? He goes like yeah. as soon as his daughter leaves, he goes. So Pete, does she know? No what? <laughs> no no no! Stop! You know, like yeah. like he like no no. Let's get the. I know you're fucking Spider Man. You know you're Spider Man. Does my daughter know? You know, like and I, I, I he doesn't say that, but that's kind of like 
the gist of that conversation. Like, no, no, cut through the BS. We both know what's going on here. I'm going to give you, now you have a chance. You go in there, you show my daughter a good time, not too good of a time. Yeah. And you forget all about my business and I leave you alone. You don't, I kill you. And it's, oh, it's chilling and it's terrifying and it's perfect. And he, yeah, and he just pretty much tells Peter, like, you know, I'm going to do this to protect my family. That's what I'll do. Yeah. I'll kill you to protect my family. So that's, that's pretty much it. Like you said, cut straight to the chase. Like, let's cut yeah. through the chase. Let's get right it. to it. Um, yeah, so Peter running along the way. I know there's some fans who have issues with, oh, Iron Man Jr. Look, he has his suit, has an AI, and all this other shit. I don't care. It means nothing. I, the essence of Peter Parker and Spider-Man is totally captured in this. He to he totally goes through this. I can see this type of a kid growing up in the MCU, seeing what he saw in Civil War, and then in the beginning of the movie, he's just kind of like jonesing to get back out there and is like, this school school's bullshit suddenly. Everything else is bullshit. I There's bigger things I need to get to. And in this movie, he essentially learns with great power comes great responsibility without yeah. even having or, to say it. He, don't be he a learns. dick. Don't be a dick. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Pretty much. Um, and he learns it from uh, on a lot of levels throughout this film. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I just kind of really buy that that's what a 15-year-old Peter Parker would be like in, in the MCU thinking that this is all the grandiose things that this guy has seen and that exist in this world and him getting a suit with an AI, which doesn't really get mentioned too often after this film. Not a lot. And, and to be honest huh. with you, here's my thing with the AI. If this were the first and only Spider-Man movie that I, that we got, and yeah. he had the AI suit, and it was all this Iron Man stuff in it. And I, you know, I love Iron Man. The MCU is my favorite MCU mm -hmm. character, not my favorite comic book character, but I, I, I would, I love Robert Downey Jr. Death. Um, I would be pissed off because I'd be like, you know what? I want a more traditional Spider-Man. But the thing is, I got a more traditional Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire in one, two, three, and then I also got a less traditional, but also more traditional. Andrew Garfield. So it's like we've already gone through like five of these movies. It's like there are things you need to change and there are things you need to skip. We don't need to see Uncle Ben die again ever again. I don't ever want to see Uncle I don't ever actually want to see a man named Ben die ever again in my life. Um we don't need we don't need old Aunt May, right? Because that Marissa Tomei is the age of Aunt May and that she was in the comic book, even though she's not like gray haired and, and like 90 looking. Um, and we need a new twist on something. And I think that was it. The, the suit was the new twist. It was like, all right, we're going to give you Spider-Man. We're going to give you the, uh, comics accurate Peter Parker, but we got, we got to update it because this isn't the first Spider-Man you've seen. And this is literally more than halfway through the MCU timeline we have to do something different and it works. If it didn't work, I'd say, nah, screw it. It, it was terrible, yeah. but it works. The AI. So I don't know, even know why people are complaining. Because people just like to complain about shit and they need shit to complain about. So that's why they do it. Mm. Um, I also think that, well, whatever the people who bitched that Toby had the fucking 
uh, organic spider webs got web shooters back that Peter does make on his own. He does make. He does. He, they show him in the class mixing the yes. batter and looking for the three point version. So he's made yeah. his web shooters, and they do establish that in Captain America: Civil War as well. Uh, but yeah, you're right. This is you had to differentiate this Spider Man from the other two incarnations we got, and there's certain things that you got to change. So. I think that it's it's all good, and but again, at the heart, it gets the heart of the character correct, and that's what mm-hmm. matters most, and then that's what we one hundred percent agree. Um, yeah, so we we get a lot of that. The whole appearance of uh, well, I'm sorry. Before we move on from Peter, though, I think it's also important that in the big showdown in the third act of this film, after Tony takes the suit away. And, you know, because of him, the whole Staten Island, you know, ferry thing that, that Peter goes to, because, right. again, he's which, inexperienced. Which, that is my my close second to my favorite scene of the movie, is that Staten Island ferry scene. Because what a brilliant set piece that is for a movie. Watching him, like, being ripped apart almost, like, trying to mm-hmm. keep the ferry together, because he screwed up. Like, he did this. The vulture, he had he not interfered, everything would have been fine. And then Tony Stark coming in and saving it. Like, I don't know, it's a, I just think it's, it's a beautiful Spider Man moment. But anyway, I know that it wasn't is. the point. I just wanted to talk about it. No, no, it <laughs> is. But yeah, he, um, yeah, he ends up getting, he uses his pretty much sweatsuit that he created. Because again, Peter Parker yeah. has no money. Anything, he's a 15 year old kid who's talking about finding DVD players in garbage cans at this point um, to create shit and invent shit. Yes. No, he does. And um, that's why, to me, th- it makes perfect sense that this is the way it would play out. Um, he fights the Vulture in the battle and has this, has the whole sweatsuit going, his original OG suit. A dude has a building drop on him that yes. he has to find a way to get out of. And I love that shot. Of him looking into the puddle that's there, yes. half Spider Man, half Peter Parker, and he realizes I'm Spider Man. I need to let's go. If you're you are Spider Man, you need to get out of that. And that's a great moment because they actually there's a there's a scene in, in in the comics where he has this whole thing that plays out like that, and it's a classic moment oh. that I think it's great that they incorporated into the film. That's awesome. That is. Awesome. I didn't realize that. Uh, but yeah, I noticed that too. I love when he looks in that puddle and he's half Spider-Man, half Peter, and he makes that realization like, no, I am I am Spider-Man to get out of this. It's wonderful. Yeah, so uh, for the detractors of the, the Iron Man Jr. shit, like, really take a look at the film again and see that all the key moments, and they captures all of that for those who were talking about all you know, um, Garfield is the better Spider Man, and, and Toby's the better Peter Parker. The best of both worlds is here. We get a Spider Man that yeah, is a wise ass when he's in the suit, super quippy, talking a lot of shit while he's facing his villains and everything, cracking jokes and everything, but not being a dick. Look at when he when he fights the Avengers, the Avengers, right? The guys yeah. in the mask, and he's like, and he comes in and he's like, oh. Thor, we finally met. Like, and he's like, even when he's getting his ass kicked, when they hit him with the anti gravity gun, and he's he's still making jokes. Like, and that is again, I've been reading a lot of Spider Man lately. That is Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Even when he's getting his ass kicked, he's making jokes because that's his defense mechanism. Yeah, 
And in this movie, that's what I'm saying. The MCU Spider-Man is the one that captures the whole picture. Agreed. And that's Agreed. why I think he is the best of he is the best of the three. I agree, he is the best. I and I think uh the people who say that Andrew Garfield has nailed Spider-Man doesn't understand Spider-Man. That's just no. my thought. Because <laughs> yeah. so Spider-Man wasn't a dick. <laughs> no. So you might want to go back to the drawing board and just pick up some comics and go check that out because it's just not the case at all. Um, yeah. So then I guess that kind of brings us to Adrian Toomes, Michael Keaton's, you know, Vulture. I love the update on the Vulture character in general. Like, they yeah. found a motivation for him in the MCU having to pretty much have a cleanup company that gets, you know, pretty much un undercut by Tony Stark. And you can understand why Tony Stark needed to create damage control in this, which I thought was a great way to slip in damage control. Um, Agreed. <clears throat> so he pretty much ends his business right there. And you can understand Tony's like, listen, because there's a common thread, even with Hawkeye, which we're, we're covering now, throughout the MCU, where if Avengers stuff gets out there, or stuff on their mm -hmm. battles gets out into the public, shit can really get crazy. And this is another example of that, because Adrian Toomes gets a hold of some of that stuff from the Battle of New York from Avengers, and creates an entire pretty much industry, a side business off of it, creating insane weapons that he's selling on a black market. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be honest with you, I think this this movie takes a shot at big government versus independent business. Because had because Adrian Toomes is an independent business owner, and in the beginning of this movie, he's a good guy. He's not a bad guy yeah. in the beginning of this movie. He's a guy who's like, look, look at this thing my daughter drew. You know, this is the Avengers. I used to drew drive cowboys and Indians. And I love that the tinkerer goes, no, they're Native Americans now, which I, 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 I yeah, he's great. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I will talk about the tinker on his own, hopefully, but, but I, I love like, you know, so right there it shows this is a good guy who's being left behind, right? He's kind of not with the now because he's gotten older, right? And then what happened? The Battle of New York happens. He hires a crew. He hires trucks he's like put a he's put a mortgage on his second mortgage in his house or something he talks about like I, I can lose my house i can lose my my life and the government just swoops in and says get the hell out of here now had had the government said had time daily gone okay we're coming in here we're prepared to cut you a check for this to cover this this and this and you get a little profit this movie doesn't happen nope. because the vulture's whole motivation is the government screwed him out of a legitimate salvage contract that he, we can assume, because we, we, we live in the real world, he vied for, he bid on, he paid money for. He then had to pay money for his people and for the, the, the things. like the, the government allowed him to do this and then went, nah, we're taking money and get the hell out of here. So I actually don't, until the end of this movie... I don't think he's a villain. He's doing what he has to do to protect himself and his family and his crew. And his crew is his family. So it it's all like Vin Diesel. It's all about family. <laughs> I was going to say is that he, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you on a, on a lot of points that you made. And yeah, I mean, when you're selling 
space weapons to pretty much anyone on the street. That, that's when things start getting irresponsible and, and a bit crazy. Right. But his motivations are correct. He is in the right to wants to provide for his family by any means necessary. And again, he's he was pushed to this because of damage control on Tony Stark. And that's what we get. So I, I love... he The Vulture is one of the most, I think, underrated MCU villains because he's one of the best that we've gotten so far. In the MCU, 100%. In the MCU, yes. And, because... and I'm going to tell you, the comic stuff, I read some of the original comic stuff. He's weird looking. He's like 90 mm -hmm. years old, and it's about magnets, and he's actually dressed as a green vulture. And, and it, yes. it just, I never got his character in the comic books. And so when, when I found out that the MCU was going to debut Spider-Man with the vulture, I went, all right, in Marvel we trust, I guess. But but here it is. You're right. He's one of the best, if not the best villain of the MCU. Yeah, I, I can see the case being made for him being the best MCU villain. I mean, he's up there with Thanos. He's up there um, with Killmonger. You know, he, he he's mm -hmm. one of the best ones we've got. He's up there now with, um, with the Mandarin, even though he's not technically yep. the Mandarin. But he, he's one of the best the MCU villains. Of, the not Mandarin. Um, yeah, so we, we've got one of the best here, and it's and it also helps that it's Michael Keaton because he crushes yes. it in this role in every scene he's in. Such a he's, he is. People forget what a great actor Michael Keaton is. Like everyone goes Batman eighty nine, Batman eighty nine, and Batman eighty nine is great, right? But yes. but people forget that this man can actually act outside of like, oh my god, is Batman like Birdman. Is a great movie. He is great love Birdman. Love Birdman. It phenomenal, um, which I think is great that he's the vulture in this. And and my wife went watching it. She goes, "Did he? Get, did they create this role because of Birdman? Birdman was was he Birdman? I was like, he got he he might have been up for the role because of Birdman, and that's kind of part of the fun of it. But mm -hmm. no, the vulture is someone very different. But 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 just again, he's so powerful as an actor and i think we forget that because he doesn't really do a lot except for you know smaller like he he drops in big roles here and there but you know he's not a prolific actor anymore yeah and i think what got him going was again was birdman i think that kind of got re yeah absolutely re-energized his career because now he's adrian Toomes and this who we know is also going to be in morbius that comes out next month so we know we're going to see more of him who knows if we're going to see him in No Way Home or not? And we're going to see him in the Flash so. next year as Batman, which I'm I'm all for. He's one of my favorite Batman. I mean, yeah. So, I guess then that can take us to um, we can we can talk about I guess Aunt May then as well because now we have you know a prolific character who's in the film. All right. What I lo love their handling of Aunt May and the choice of Marissa Tomei to play her. Is like you said, it doesn't look like this is completely bonkers age disparity between Peter Parker and Aunt May, and um, she's also she's not like a huge she's an important part of the film, but she's not like a ton of screen time. She she pops in and out yeah. of the film, but I do love the fact that that scene where she kind of calls bullshit on Peter after he comes back from. You know, which the next character we'll talk about is obviously we'll talk about Tony Stark. 
Um, but with Aunt May, like, yeah, he could, Peter comes back from that, and he's not in his regular clothes and stuff. And she calls bullshit. I'm like, dude, I know all this shit. I know the stock internship. You're out. You're leaving the house every night. You smell like something weird right now. Like, don't. I'm not an idiot. So she even says, like, yeah. cut the bullshit. Like, yeah. let, let's let's have a talk here. Obviously, he doesn't confess to her right there because he's trying to, you know, protect her. And also, is she even he even tells Ned that you know she finds out people are trying to kill me every night. She ain't gonna let me do this anymore, which I yeah. think is kind of funny. <laughs> it's it's a very teenage <laughs> teenage way to look at being just, a superhero. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I think she's really good in it. And my one of my favorite scenes with her is yeah when she's teaching she's working with Peter up. Um, you know, tying the knot and everything, looking at the YouTube video, and he's just, you know, she's trying to like coach him along about, you know, being, you know, uh, going to his the big dance and everything. And at the end of the film, when she sees Peter with the mask off, and the last line of the film is, "What the? F-? Yeah, so they don't oh, treat her it. like she, they don't treat Aunt May like she's an idiot. She right. knows right. that Peter Parker is Spider Man." Yeah, no, I, I I love that, and and I love certain choices like the the. Like, she, look, there's no getting around it. Marissa Tomei is an attractive woman. There's just no getting around that, right? And yes. we don't we don't think of Aunt May as someone sexy. Like, I've never had, up until this movie, no. I cannot, I can say I never had impure thoughts about Aunt May. <laughs> After this movie, I can't promise that. But, but what I like, though, is, like, they do go out of her way to make her look like like normal. Like, when, when they go to get the larb in the, which I the love that scene, place, like, yeah. Type place like when she just keeps like making the larb jokes like you know, do you larb this do you larb that how many times are you gonna make me say larb before you tell me what the hell's going on great scene um you know like she's an attractive woman but they also like they give her these big glasses which are weird and they put her hair down with so I kind of like that they're like no you know she yeah she she's an attractive woman but she's also not getting made up every time she does something to like go out with her nephew and and i i really appreciated that they made her look or tried to make as much as you can make marissa tomei look like a normal person you know <laughs> and they do play on the joke that about aunt may you know being yeah. who she is like in this high restaurant and then in the beginning tony mentions like you know so yeah, like, what she wearing or whatever, or whatever. I'm like, ah, oh, that's inappropriate. Don't worry about that. Yeah, uh, let's 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 skip that part. Um, yeah, but I mean, Marissa so many crushes in his anime and this, this film. She's really good. She's a great um, actress. She's a great actress. Legitimately, is a great yeah. actress. Academy Award winner, Marissa yes. Tomei. Yes, absolutely. Which, I wanted to post something to the group today, but uh, when I'm at school, there's like I never post anything. And thank you, by the way, for posting Double O Deep Dive stuff the other day because when I'm at school, I have no internet on my phone. Mm -hmm. But I saw a meme I want to post on the group where it was like a picture of my cousin Vinny, like the poster of uh, Joe Pesci and Marissa Tomei. And the caption was, until I get confirmation otherwise, this is my Uncle Ben. That's right. That's really good. But I couldn't post it because I had no uh, no service. <laughs> um. So yeah, then that ties us back to Tony Stark, because part of the deal with Sony and Marvel was that pretty much an MCU hero needs to appear in all these Spider-Man movies. This is why we got Doctor Strange now. We got Nick Fury in in uh, Spider-Man and uh, oh, Spider-Man Far From I Home. I didn't realize that was part of the deal. Yeah, that's part of the deal because I think Sony was like, we need to make sure we hammer home to people that this takes place <laughs> in the MCU and it's not just 
another rebooted Spider-Man thing. So please trust us this time. Please trust us. Sony's like, look, we know we wronged you, but Kevin Feige hasn't, and you exactly. see Iron Man here. <laughs> so yeah, he appears on the posters. Not a ton of screen time no. for Tony, but his he doesn't just show up just for like, hey, that's it. He's the mentor through the film. Yeah. He's not helping Peter along. Yes, he has the big scene with uh, on the ferry, which when he goes ahead and he tells Peter after the whole ferry fiasco when he saves him, like, listen, you know, uh, you know, I'm gonna need the suit back, and he's just like, well, if I don't have the suit, then I'm. Peter says, if I don't have the suit, I'm nothing, and he tells him, well, if you don't, if you're nothing without the suit, then you shouldn't have it, which I thought was, lo I love the fact that that's a thing in this because that's yeah. the lesson he learned in Iron Man three. Yes, yeah, that's true. That's very true. Right? So, so this is this is the lesson he wants to impart to his protege because this is his protege. This is very much the closest thing to this point that he has to a son or a, a child. Like we know, Endgame he has a child, but but yes. at this point, no, this is the closest thing he has. And and actually, I have a note: Tony's a really bad dad. He tries hard, <laughs> but he's a really bad dad to, to Peter Parker. But I think he acknowledges that in the last scene. He does. He's like making all the weird metaphors and stuff. He's like, hey, listen, let's just say that was what you needed. That was the push you needed, right? Tony knows it's <laughs> bullshit, but he's like, yeah, let's right. go ahead and say that's it. Right? Right. That's okay. Why, that's why it works. <laughs> um, but I think in the scene, though, with on the ferry when him and Tony are talking, there's a big foreshadowing scene where he says, you know, well, if you die, that's on me. Yes, like that's, I don't yes. need that on my conscience. Now that we know about Infinity War and Endgame, watching this and that whole that line, it has a whole more a lot more weight to it now. Looking back on it, yeah, no, I, I, they knew I, what they I were doing, but absolutely agree. They set that up, and and also I think it's very important that that line comes. Like, so the first time that this isn't the first time we see the Iron Man suit, the Iron Man suit saves Peter Parker from like almost drowning in Queens when he first fights the vulture. And he yeah. goes, you didn't have to come here. And he opens a suit. He's like, I'm not, I'm in, I'm in India. You're lucky this place has Wi-Fi." And so yeah. I love that in that scene where they have that real, like genuine uh, emotional moment, he goes, yeah, you know, if you really, Peter says to Tony, if you really cared, you actually would have shown up yourself. And he just comes out of the Iron Man suit. And then they have that conversation. So I think that it really hits at home. Like, no, he does really care. And, and yeah. so, like, you know, foreshadowing, I'm here. I care about you. I'm in that. I don't, I'm not a good guy necessarily. And I'm a terrible father, but I, I, I care about you and I'm invested in you. And if you die, it's on me. And with all of that, then knowing what we know about Endgame or Infinity War, it's like, yeah, no, it, it makes a lot of sense when we look back on Tony Stark in Endgame yeah. when he's like, I can't lose my daughter. I, I can't lose, you know, because it's like he's already lost someone that he felt was like was a child. And, and so, yeah, so I think it's a brilliant scene. And in Endgame, he has a picture in his house, in that yes. cabin, it's of him and Peter. And that's part of the thing that pushes him to buy into the 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 time heist. Yep. And they go ahead and the time heist, and they go ahead and you know bring everyone back. So really love that angle of it too. And at the end of the film, when he 
presents him with the Iron Spider suit, like the MCU's version, which I love the look of it. Actually, I like the look of it better than the comic version. Uh, Oh, nice. Yeah, I do. I like this one better. Um, Peter turns it down. I love Tony's line about, you know, so you're good, right? Like, you're good? I get it. It's a blue-collar, Springsteen-y, blue-collar type of uh, (laughs) thing. I get it. I I can see that. All right. And And I love him and tells him it's a test. I love it. I love that. And and then you see Pepper come out like, where's the kid? The kid turned it down. I got all this stab. I got all this press here. It's like, I I love, oh, I'll just propose. Like, great. Oh, yeah. I'll just propose, by the way. Harry, uh, I mean, uh, uh, happy. Happy. Let's go. Ring. Let's go. I've been carrying this around since 2008. Let's do this. I love the fact that it advances Tony's story in the MCU in this yes. film, even though he's not the main character. Uh-huh. So it shows it wasn't just for like a glorified cameo because the contract says so. Yes. It meant something. And yeah, that's really what I respect about it too. And, and I didn't even know about the contract thing, but now that I know that, like looking at also the, the movie we're going to do next week, um, yeah. Far From Home, it's like, no, they, they find meaningful ways to get the characters in there to make it matter emotionally. Yeah. And it, it, it just it, it makes sense. And of course, to start off with Tony Stark is the smart way to go about it. I mean, of course, because it, Tony Stark is the anchor of the MCU. Yeah, kind of like how we talk about how uh, Spider-Man is pimped out all over Marvel Comics to introduce right. everybody else. So now, why it, not? The Iron Man, someone, a character that almost no one cared about before <laughs> the MCU is now was. I mean, he's dead now, but it was pimped out all over the place. So like, hey, I'm... I'm I'm in a Spider-Man thing. I'm doing this now. I'm doing that now. I'm, I'm showing up the end of the Hulk. Yeah, he was that guy. He was. Um, so, yeah, and then I guess that we can talk about some of the other characters. Um, Ned. Ned Leeds is pretty much subbing in for Harry Osborne in this, which he adds a lot of co- uh, comedic relief to the film. Yeah, it's great. I, I, I enjoyed him a lot. Uh, MJ is really kind of like a comedic relief also and is – thrown in here and there and peppered in. Well, you know they're not going to hire an actress like Zendaya. You knew that at the time to not just be the weird random girl that's on the side. Absolutely. Like, so my thoughts on Ned are he's hysterical. I love every moment he's in. He's a great, like, sidekick foil for Mm Spider-Man. Watching it with my wife, who's Filipino, and and I swear she has Filipino sense, like Spider-Man sense, because she went, (laughs) that guy's Filipino. And I went, oh, I, you know, I thought so, but I, I don't know. I, I And she, like, five minutes, five seconds later, she's like, no, no, he, he's Filipino. He doesn't speak it, but he understands it. And, and I'm like, How the, like, do you have a network of Filipinos that, <laughs> that tell you them? But anyway, um, so, but I, I love him. I love when he finds out that uh, Peter is Spider-Man. I love the whole, like, we're going to build the Death Star together. I love the scene where the woman, the teacher, who's a woman from Orange New Black, comes in. And says, what are you doing here? I'm watching porn. porn. <laughs> it's just, like, yes, that's he, what I'm doing in a school in a school dance. Like he's 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 comic gold in this. Um, Zendaya, I have to admit, I didn't love in this movie. I really like her in the next movie we're going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, agreed. Uh, but I kind of find found her gratuitously awkward and needlessly mean. Um, well, I think she would. Well, I mean, the way I took it is this. She's 
pretty much what a, a teenager would be when they're overly mean for like no reason whatsoever. Yeah. And she obviously could tell she's hiding the crush that she has on, on Peter throughout the film. Like she knows what classes he's dropped and what he's in and right. what he's out. So she, they acknowledge that. And in fact, when they're in detention and she draws the sad Peter picture there, I thought was actually really funny. Cool. Also her line in DC about, I was hoping to get in some light protesting so we can, you know, that, get this going. That's and, and I love the teacher's response. Well, nothing's more American than protesting. Let's get that. Like, yeah. He did something like that. I love that. <laughs> and by the way, that teacher is the character that was in the Incredible Hulk when he's the yes. the, the guy who lets him and lets uh, Bruce Banner in, which I thought was great that they actually followed up on that. I do again. This is what I love about these MCU movies is. They build the world. Even like I didn't know that until you pointed it out to me after we saw the movie. I, I wouldn't have picked up on that because I don't have that eye for detail unless I've just seen the movie. And I don't rewatch The Incredible Hulk. Like it's not my my go to MCU rewatch. Uh, but the fact that they pay such attention to detail, like what that makes it when they retcon that Peter Parker was the kid from Iron Man three, and that's a retcon. We know that's a retcon, but. Because they do things like that so often, it's like, yeah, it, it feels right. That works. Like, because they build this this whole universe. And I, I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. And I actually, honestly, that even slipped my mind for a second that he was the kid at the Stark Expo in Iron Man 2, yeah. which I thought was great. Oh, Iron Man 2, uh, not 3. Yeah. yeah sorry. Um, yeah. I thought that was really clever. Uh, and speaking on MCU connections through the film, Though before we go, as I also wanted to, well, before we get to that, another friend I wanted to mention, by the way, Flash Thompson, not being a physical bully, being an emotional bully, continuously oh. riding Peter throughout the film is a hilarious. He's he a is dick. such a dick, and it's, He's, it's, it's, he plays it well. It's just, I love the actor. I love the choice. And look, I'm going to say this. I know a lot of people went, oh, Flash is, in, Flash is white. Why, why are so many people not white in the school? Look, I teach high school in Queens. Okay, I teach high school in New York. I taught high school in, in Manhattan. This is what the population looks like. That's why. Yes. That's exactly. it. Okay, that, so like anyone complaining that Flash is supposed to be white, look – the original Spider-Man happened in the 60s. Everyone in media was white in the 60s because that's all anyone cared about. It's not like that now, and that was not the reality then. So that's why. And this guy who played Flash, I think, is amazing. He's hysterical. The whole scene, like, when I say penis, you say Parker penis. <laughs> Parker penis. Exactly. I mean, it's great. And he's not, again, he's not a physical bully. We don't have to see another scene of Peter Parker coming into his powers and beating the hell out of the Flash. No, he never bests the Flash. Like, no, not the Flash. Flash. Like, uh, what happens is Flash loves Spider Man, but hits Peter, and Peter kind of just kind of goes oh, at some point goes, "All right, well, I guess I'll take that." Like, you know. Yeah. Um, I, also, I, we talked about the Flash. We talked about Flash. Did you pick up that Flash? Yep, I know where to go. Go for it. I know it. Talks about Branzino. <laughs> I honestly didn't pick that up until the rewatch this time. And I've seen this movie a thousand times. I didn't either. And it's only because we watched Amazing Spider-Man recently <laughs> yes. that I made that connection. And that, Jason, that was the next point I was going to bring up. And I was I'm curious to see if you caught that. The fucking Branzino. 
The Brent Zeno, I, and you know that was purposeful. You know of course it was. was purposeful watching it. And again, I'm like you. I would not have picked up on it if we didn't just watch. And Because we made a big point about the Brent Zeno in that movie. Oh, and sure the Brent Zeno talk. Because that movie made a big big point of it. But I just love Slash. Like, yeah, I know good Brent Zeno. That was a good Brent Zeno. It's like, I know when it's fresh. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's fresh. Oh, my God. I love that so much. (laughs) I'm so so happy that you knew exactly where I was going with that. (laughs) Of course. The the Brent Zeno thing stuck out. I was laughing on the plane (laughs) when that scene came up, and I'm like, holy shit. They made an amazing Spider-Man, like, (laughs) dig or something at it. That I thought was funny. That was really funny. Um, yeah, and in that scene though, when when Spider Man steals the car, because he's you know at, at the end, that's yeah. his first encounter with Spider Man, and that's probably where he starts to admire him and like, yo, dude's just looking out for neighborhood, like he says in Far From Home. Yeah. So I, that's an important scene to, to for the character, both characters moving forward. Um, and and all the MCU things that are thrown in here I thought were great with what's well, not Chris Evans Captain America shows up in a video for the uh, phys ed class and, it was great and, and the post credit scene this is one of my favorite post credit scenes because it literally trolls us yes like one of my favorite I, I just I love like because I remember seeing this with you for the first time in the theater and we're all waiting for that post credit scene and you just see Captain America like Patience. Yeah, sometimes it pays <laughs> off, and sometimes it doesn't. It's like you're fucking with us now, MCU. Oh my god, and I, I respect that. <laughs> I loved it so much. I loved it so much. Um, <laughs> and then it was the mention of Flash. Mentions he has a date with Black Widow because he was he's shitting on Peter again, yep. saying that oh yeah, this... you don't know Tony Stark. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Tony, St- what is it? Spider Man is your friend, like your girlfriend from Canada that never comes to town, or something like that. Exactly. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that's the whole thing. He's messing with them. There's a thing in the Larb scene, by the way, where out the window there's a church of worship for Asgardians that they worship really? Asgard. Yeah, there is. There, if you watch that scene again, you'll wow. see that that's that that is a thing, and that's in it. They really peppered things throughout this film to make sure that it fits seamlessly into the MCU. And it's it's great. And the, the biggest thing is the when you have the opening credits, I mean, the opening scene with Adrian Toomes, and we see how he gets screwed after the Avengers, then we get the title, and then it's a film by Peter Parker, and then we get the home video film, Peter's perspective of Civil War. That whole thing was... Genius, and I know that I remember they released that. That was the oh, yeah. clip they released prior to Homecoming to promote it, and I I ate it up. Absolutely, I love, I love that. I love, and I and I want to talk about Happy before we're done. But I yeah, love go. that uh, that Happy is like, uh, why are you doing that voice? You can't show this to anyone. Yeah. I know it's just fun. And then they get like, I'm not taking your bags. Grab your bags. Should I use the bathroom for getting the plane? There's a bathroom on the plane. This is your first time. Like, I just, the whole interaction, because Happy, Happy legitimately dislikes Peter Parker. He sees him as a nuisance, but a means to yes. an end because he was given the responsibility yes. by by Tony. But I, I, I wanted to point that out earlier, too, though. 
But they mentioned Tony drops in and mentions that he knows everything that Happy's telling him. He acknowledges oh, it. Yes. Which is why he yes, sends the FBI. So it's not like they do play they do show you that he's definitely a nuisance to to Happy. Peter's definitely a nuisance to Happy, but he is doing his job, and Tony's generally listening. They don't both treat him like oh. get lost, little kid. That's not it's perceived like that, but it's not really if you really watch yeah. the film, it's not like that at all. Well, there's a great line or where not great line, but there's a really cool line where like uh Spider-Man or uh, you know Peter Parker's telling Happy about the oh then I gave this woman directions, she gave me a churro, and that comes yeah. back. That's how you know that Iron Man is is mm-hmm. being brief because like I don't know, you get a churro, you should do more things like that. But I do want to say that I happy is the reason this movie happens. Like it, this movie is happy's fault because so many times Peter Parker goes, yeah, I'm calling you because I just saw people using weapons. Shut up, kid. I got more busy. I'm trying to get a promotion. <laughs> it's moving day. Shut up. Click. And it's like, and then even at the end when Ned calls him like, yeah, no, Peter. Peter's doing this, and they're about to rob the. Uh, shut up, kid. Shut up. And it's like, and Happy does uh, at the end say thank you. You saved me. You know they have a nice moment of reconciliation. But like, but Happy's a. I understand his motivation. Yes. He's a jerk in this movie, an absolute jerk to Peter, because the whole reason Peter takes things into his own hands is because he is perceiving that. No one is yeah. listening to him, and Happy is making it clear no one's listening to him, even though Tony Stark is. But Tony Stark is also like an Avengers level Avenger, so he's got other bigger fish to fry. Happy doesn't. Yeah. That this is Happy's goddamn job. So also, these uh, Sokovia Accords are an effector in this film. Yes, that's true. So technically, he you know has to kind of like do other things like this, and he and Tony and Tony does mention at one point that. The you know that there's this is a little bit below the Avengers pay grade, even though we find yes. out in Falcon and Winter Soldier, you don't technically get paid. But I don't think, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, we, pay we grade was just this that was him going, I'm more important than this. <laughs> yeah, I'll say this is what I send to the FBI, yeah. this is what I send to like the local authorities. You know, we're watching out for like massive threats to the world. You handle this, and that's also why I take this film as friendly neighborhood Spider-Man because this is the type oh, of shit that he would he would totally deal with. And Adrian Toomes does tell Peter that at one point like the rich guys, they don't give a shit about us. We're fighting for scraps. You know, like me and you, is, that's I, what we're doing. Which is why I love him as a villain in this because Peter Parker is not rich. He's he's actually poor, right? Like he's, you know, or, or lower mm-hmm. middle class. Um yeah. Adrian Toomes a guy who was screwed over by the government. Like, he he, he made it his own way. He went, oh, you're going to try to take from me. I'm going to take from you, and then I'm going to – I'll do dangerous stuff to, to make my own because you gave me no choice. And, I, again, it's like the – it's – Spider-Man's a working-class hero. Vulture's a working-class villain. And they are – like, this is the perfect pairing in this movie. And I love also even that scene where, you know – he doesn't like the when he realizes when the vulture realizes that he has a connection to him he doesn't want to kill him right no. and it's like he when he starts throwing when he's talking to him and he has the wings go around and traps him underneath which we talked about before uh mm-hmm. and then there's the moment where they're fighting on the carrier and like they're both going out of their way to try to not really hurt each other the vulture then goes a bit too far 
Uh, but I also really love that Peter's like, your suit's going to explode. No, stop. And I, I mean, I don't know. I guess I really just think this pairing was perfect. No, it really works. It really works because Peter knows that I think that Adrian Toomes is not a psychopath. He's not a villain, even though he no. does kill the original Shocker by accident. But by accident. <laughs> and, and I wanted to, I did want to bring that out. Like he goes, I like. The, the original, and again, watch this with my wife. And after he murdered him, she goes, not even realizing it was an accident because she was only half watching because she was on her phone. She goes, yeah. No, that guy had it coming. What do you expect? You threaten him, you threaten his family, you know what you're into. And I was like, Yeah, but yeah. Babe, he didn't actually mean to. And she's like, That makes it even better. And but that's that's the truth. It's like mm-hmm. he doesn't mean to, he has the, in the villain world, he has the right to. This guy's like, like threatening him, threatening his family. Yeah. And he and says to Peter, he tells him that. Yeah, exactly. And all all he does to the shocker is he hit he try he means to hit him with the anti gravity gun, and he kills him accidentally. And he's like, "All right, well that sucked, but I didn't want to do that. But it is what it is." And I think that's also part of like that's part of the escalation. That's like the first person he kills, and so then he, he's kind of all in. It's like, okay, well if you. You, you threaten my family, even Peter Parker, who, you know, I don't have anything against except you're trying to screw with my business. I'm going to yeah. put you down. And then, again, and I, I like that. And I like the fact that Peter Parker also similar motives, like trying to protect his neighborhood, his family, his whatever. He won't cross the line that the Vulture does. And that's why I think these this particular version of the Vulture, it's kind of like Batman Joker. They're two sides of the same coin. The, and the irony of that might right. be exactly. Batman. Exactly, exactly. Which, again, not not accidental. No, not at all. Um, yeah, and, and the other things that are set up, too, is that, so we mentioned the original Shocker dies. Okeem Woodbine's character ends up becoming the Shocker that was there. And he has this crazy fight with Peter with, you know, outside of the school later on, which I thought was cool. I hope that's not the last time we see him. Matt Gorgon is set up. In two scenes, the Staten Island Ferry scene, and then in the mid-credit scene, where we, you mentioned, we also find out that Peter, is, you know, that Adrian Toomes is protecting Peter, Peter's identity because even tells Matt Gorgon, like, "Don't you think if I knew who he was, you know, he'd be dead already?" Like making himself with the tough guy persona because he's in prison right now. So who the hell knows what could happen to him? Then walking away, he has a satisfied look on his face, like because he tells Peter early in the film. Saved my daughter, you know. He also saved Adrian Toomes' life yep. at this point, even though he turned him in. You know, he knows Peter's a good dude, and he's a kid. Yeah. You know, right. he knows he's trying to do the right thing, so he doesn't. He he does see and acknowledge Peter's heroism, and will protect it. And I'm sure eventually, though, we're gonna see more of him, and I think we'll see more Vulture. You know, as as a villain eventually, but he won't sell out Peter for that because. He has that bond with Peter and that thankfulness of saving his family's life. Because his number one priority is his family. Right. Absolutely. And and I a hundred percent agree. It's like he he has his priorities. It's his family. It's his crew. Peter goes above and beyond to save his family. Not the crew, but but him. Like again, he could mm-hmm. he could let him die. The, the vulture is trying to kill him in that last scene. Yeah, because the vulture's like, look, it's you or me. I gotta get out of here. I gotta protect my family. I gotta provide for my family. And the fact that Peter Parker goes out of his way while say, trying to save his own life 
to try to save his murderer. That's why this vulture is such a rich character because that is not lost on him. Yes, yeah. you turn me in. Yes, this sucks. You foiled my plans. But do I want you dead? Well, how can I? You saved my daughter. You saved me. You, you put me in a bad position. But also, I kind of did this to myself. And again, I think this incarnation of the vulture kind of understands that. You know what I'm saying? He knew yeah. what he was getting into. And again, it's such a... I think this is the best vulture. I think this blows anything I've ever read about him in the comic book or seen of him anywhere else. Yeah, absolutely. He's in the comics. He's a pretty goofy character. So he's really he gives him like a real person. And it's magnets in the comic book. Did you know that it's yeah. all about magnets? Yeah. Weird. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand how it works. It's weird. This is much better. This is infinitely better. Um, and then the Tinkerer. We also see. Is in the film who adds comic relief to it, but also, you know, especially when he checks his phone and sees that his wife's texting him, he's like, Well, why'd you leave your phone around? You know, I'm a curious yeah. person by nature, <laughs> but the, I, I love that line, I always have. Uh, it's the whole vacuum line. seal thing, I, I think, was was great. He wants to, he planned the whole thing from the beginning, you know, wanting him to do this to steal the Avengers stuff. And the big another thing that this movie sets up is. The reason the Avengers are moving to the compound at the time, which we know the compound gets destroyed eventually, yeah. um, Avengers Tower is sold, and most people believe that it's Oscorp, that that will be the Oscorp building that we're going to get eventually. Yeah, and, I, that, and I'd that be fine with to that. Be seen. Some people believe it's going to end up being the Baxter building. The Baxter building, yeah. That's the other thing I've seen thrown out there. So hopefully we'll find out soon enough. Maybe in two weeks we'll find out soon. Oh, yeah, it might be that. Ugh, I can't believe Spider Man. We're almost coming out in two weeks. I'm so excited. <sighs> so am I. Uh, any other notes on, on Homecoming before we I got a this thing up? Yeah, I got one or two. So uh, we didn't talk about Childish Gambino. Ah, oh, I'm sorry. Yes. My bad. My and, bad. And we need to talk about him because as we as we established, I didn't know this in, in, until before our last episode we did Spider-Verse. Like, he's the reason Miles Morales exists. Yeah, Donald Glover's in this as Miles' uncle because they know he is set up to, if they want to revisit him as the Prowler, he's set up to be. Even mm -hmm. that scene when he's buying the weapons and he's like, he mentions, Love oh, it. like a grappling thing. He's like, oh, really? What's that about? And he mentions he has a yep. nephew that lives mm -hmm. in the neighborhood, but we also know Miles is more of a Brooklyn kid, so... Uh, the neighborhood so meaning... New York. I'm, I was. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. But like, I loved seeing him. And again, at that point, my wife goes because again, she has no concept of MCU versus Tobey Maguire versus Andrew Garfield. This isn't her thing. And she went, "Wow, they they really got a bigger budget with their actors in this, right? I mean, he's big." And I'm like, <laughs> "Let me explain the history." And she went, "No, no, no, just let me enjoy it." Um, yeah. But I love, I love the fact that they have the sandwich conversation. Was such a Queens yes. thing, yeah. Like, sandwich in Queens, that sandwich in Queens. I love it. And then when he comes back and he interrogates him, and he he webs his hand. Spider Man webs uh, Childish Gambino's hand hands to the trunk, and he's like, oh, "I'm I'm going to interrogate you." He's like, "No, you've got to be better at this." And he's like, "No, what do you mean? I'm good at this." And then he eventually <laughs> like gets the information, 
And he goes, up, 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 in two hours, you're a bad guy. In two hours, that'll expire. You'll be gone. You, you, you'll be fine. You deserve, you deserve that. It. And he, you deserve that, Mr. Criminal. <laughs> you're a criminal. You're yes, a criminal. And he goes, he's not got, lying. I got, I got, he is. He is, but I love his response. I got ice cream in the car. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> love that. Um, yeah, so I want to mention that, and I think I also want to mention the Stan Lee cameo. Ed, how's your mother? How's your mother? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me come down there, young man. And you're a little punk. Yeah, that, that whole scene, by the way, is really funny, because in a lot of ways, it's Peter, like, you know, he ends up, like, stopping somebody from stealing a bike, doesn't know who to give the bike yeah. to, thinks he's stopping a car theft. And meanwhile, it's a guy just trying to get into his own car. <laughs> Things you would think are going to happen to a teenager trying to be a superhero. And that also adds to why I love this movie so much. Yeah. It's just, and, and great queen shots. Looks, there's a lot of good Long Island City. Uh-huh. I, there was no moment that I went, wait a minute, you were in Forest Hills and now you're in Long Island City? No, there was none of that. No. Either I didn't recognize it or it, it was consistent. That's all that mattered. I think it was consistent. I felt it was. I thought it was too. Um, and I got one more character we didn't talk about. It's a very important character. This being a movie in Queens. The Deli Cat. The Deli Cat was present. <laughs> I mean, Mr. Delmar's Deli. Yep. I love it. <laughs> this movie went, you know what's you know what's Queens? Deli Cat. And you know what? Deli it's Cat true. is definitely Deli Cat is very Queens. The fact that he goes and he has this whole thing with Mr. Del Mar and, and like they're making they're kind of joking back and forth and and then there's a deli cat and it's like look I, I went to delis like this like in oh, yeah. around places I used to work like these places exist so I just again I wanted to talk about Deli Cat because he was an amazing character in this movie. Deli Cat was Deli Cat was was genius and made it feel very much like New York, we're New Yorkers, so we, yep. you know, when we watch Hawkeye and we watch the MCU shows and stuff like that, this felt real. It felt legit. It legitimized the film in a way that people who don't live in New York wouldn't really know about. Agreed. Agreed. I got two people out in the, outside New York was going, well, why is there a cat in there? That's gross. And yeah, you're right. That is gross. But that's Queens. That's what it is, baby. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, we'll get to some quick comments here. Uh, Tim, I know Tim is at AEW Wrestling in in, in Queens in UBS Arena. I can't hear you say because it's too loud in the arena, but Michael Keaton was a genius in this. Uh, he also shares our thoughts on uh, when he opened the door on Peter Storm when Keaton realized who Peter Parker was as our two favorite scenes. We totally agreed with you on yep. that. We love both of those scenes. And uh, I guess he's going to get a boss man chant going for me at uh, AEW. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate wow. the birthday wishes. Yes, the big boss man chant should happen. A Ray trailer on my birthday would be fantastic. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right. So that pretty much kind of wraps it up for this week for Granny's PhD. Again, thanks for joining us. Um, We will be back next Wednesday, which, Jason, is the night before we get to see Spider-Man. I think I'm saying two weeks, and I'm wrong. We're about a week week. away. Next from a week from tomorrow, we will be seeing Spider-Man: No Way Home. I'm excited. Next week, though, before we get to that, we have to talk about Spider-Man: Far From Home because we have to complete our Spider-Man rewatch, as we said we would. 
So we'll be talking about Spider-Man No uh, Far From Home. Next week, that'll be our film. We'll be talking about Hawkeye Episode 5, which we'll see if we can get on and do the show because it's supposed to break the internet. And if there's no internet, it's broken and we can't do the show. Well, just so we'll see what Al Gore up. He'll, he'll fix it. He invented it. He can fix it. Yeah, don't worry about it. Uh, and we'll be talking about Flash Armageddon Part 5, the ending to the Armageddon miniseries. we got a pretty big show lined up next week, so... Yeah. We'll hope Absolutely. to uh, and see you there. We got we got we got Hit Monkey, right? We're oh yes, I'm sorry. Week. Yes, it is my bad. I know last episode we talked about doing it. This episode, we were pretty busy, short turnaround time, couldn't get to it, but we will be talking about Marvel's Hit Monkey, which is on Hulu. So another week if you got a chance to watch it. It's like some people here do. They have to finish it. You can go ahead and catch up to that. <laughs> I, I wasn't I am enjoying it so far, and I can't wait to talk about it. Uh, with everyone next week. So uh, check that out. Uh, we'll see her next week. And the week after that, we'll be talking about Spider-Man No Way Home. And also that'll be the Hawkeye finale. And we, we got a bunch of crazy stuff lined up for you guys. That's so big show. Two weeks is a big Two. show. Next week's a big show. We got some big shows coming up, man. Next week is a big show, but Hawkeye finale yes. and No Way Home? Uh-huh. That's a that's huge a show. MTU- yeah, that's a big MCU show. Smorgasbord of MCU. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, if you're into wrestling, you can check out Tim, who was comment, dropped some comments in. You can check out uh, Tim and Eric on the Just Too Sweet show. If you're into the New York Giants, you can check out the We Stomped You Out show. Also, you can check out um, Unsportsmanlike Conduct, which is another wrestling show here on the network. Um and we have another show that'll be on Monday nights, which Jason and I are on, a certain show called Double O Deep Dive. Jason, what do we got for Double O Deep Dive uh, next week? We got Skyfall. We have what a lot of people say is the best Daniel Craig movie out of the run. So uh, please join us. We're going to have uh, myself, Ed, uh, Ginny, and a special guest. As always, I'm trying to get a special guest for each of these movies. Um, and yeah, uh, Skyfall. Hey, if you loved Casino Royale and hated Quantum of Solace, <laughs> join us for Skyfall because look, after Quantum of Solace, it's all uphill. <laughs> it, it, it certainly is. So, check out if you're into Bond, you can come check us out on Monday, uh, for Skyfall. Can't wait to rewatch that one and, and talk with everyone about that as well. Uh, so. Have a good night. Uh, safe week. We will see you. Jason and I will see you Monday for Double O Deep Dive and back here for Granny's PhD next Wednesday. So, everyone, take it easy. Stay safe. Peace. Later. <laughs>